Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. I'm joined today by two recurring guests, Brooke Bowman and Freddy. Hi to you both. Hi. Hello, hello. <laughs> and today I will start with a preamble to explain how it came about that the two of you are here. And the thing is that I've been so busy with living well in the concept. And knowing that there's one thing that I think is universal about living well that people, at least in, in developed countries, Western countries, think about, and they would um, exclude the very fringes of, of society in terms of its people. They would uh, just offhand think that here is, here is some place where you just can't live well or... You know, and we have, and this sits at the base of all our fears, pretty much, that we work our asses off and we save money. And I implied in that is the assumption that we don't want to be destitute. We don't want to be uh, living on the street. We don't want to be homeless. We don't want, we always want to have a roof over our head. And you both have had experiences with living there um outside of this whole rat race that's going on and i've had a liminal experience that's not com completely comparable but uh has elements of it because let's say i've met a lot of people who came from that world into the world of just uh hippie haven in the middle of georgia that's this remote uh place and just knowing you both and knowing that it would be great to do a podcast together, I thought that it would be great if we explored a little bit um, living on the outside, if I can call it that. I'm not really sure what to call it yet. Um, what are, how, how do some of the things there happen, uh, what it is like, and then also what lessons could be taken away uh from living in the place where most people really dread of living in and just seeing how all of it connects to uh living well and yeah just to kick things off i'd really love to hear from you both whoever wants to go first were you ever scared of of getting to that place yourself like most people are I guess I will go first. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't so much actively scared of it. I just didn't believe that I would end up there. It just did not even enter into possibility in my mind. And then suddenly I was there. Suddenly I was on the street. And that was kind of like one of a number of moments where just something in my brain shattered a little bit and I had to kind of pick up the pieces. Um, that being said, just on the topic, uh, you, know, you know, to follow from your, your introduction there, 
I do feel like if I was able to find happiness, both on the street and in Los Angeles, like two things separately that people think it's not possible to find happiness in, I have this like deep seated feeling of just, just, just peace. And like, I, I, I know that I will be happy no matter what, because I've like found it there. I can find it there. I can find it anywhere. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the whole idea of, not being able to find happiness in a certain environment and finding happiness is only possible in a certain environment. That whole idea was something that I just couldn't wrap my head around, right? Like growing up, I grew up in a city. So the last thing I ever thought of, and like I had absolutely no idea that this whole concept of a developing nation and a developed nation and a third world nation and a first world nation I was like, fuck you, what the fuck are you guys even talking about, right? Like, I grew up scoffing that idea because I grew up, you know, in a city. I grew up in a modern city which had pretty much everything the Western world offered. And, like, there was no way I thought of myself as, you know, growing up in an underdeveloped country whatsoever, right? And I actually hated that fact. So, for me, the idea of living on the streets, the idea of struggling, suffering, poverty, like, you know, trying to make ends meet, like that was an adventure, right? Like for me, that was like, why the fuck did I have to be born with all of these things? Like, why am I in a comfortable family? Like, why did I have to win the genetic lottery, right? Like I wanted to taste the rawness of life and I found myself constantly being pulled towards that. Like, I don't know why it, it happened through drugs. Like for me, the gateway towards that world was through drugs, right? Like I would get stoned and I knew that I would land up in that world. Like that was the only way someone like me who grew up in, I won't say I grew up in the lap of luxury, but I definitely grew up far beyond the poverty line. So there was no way that I would struggle to eat food or struggle to, you know, live in a comfortable place. I had food, clothing, electricity. I had all of that. I had a comfortable roof over my head, but yet I craved, you know, living beyond the fringe, right? Like I wanted to live out there. I was like, what's out there? Like, why is, why am I not allowed to go out there? There was this sense that, you know, like growing up, parents are like, oh, you don't go there. Don't, don't, don't speak to so that, you know, don't go out there. Don't speak to those people. Don't do that. It's dangerous. Be safe. Stay here. Don't go beyond that line. So there was always this barrier, this invisible edge that separated us from them. Right. And it wasn't like they were evil, but it was clear that, if I went beyond that edge, there was danger there, right? I didn't, I didn't know what, what kind of danger, but there was clear danger on the other side of that line. And that was like exciting. Oh my God, there's fucking danger there. What the fuck am I doing? Okay. I so, on the other side. <laughs> so you, you, you remind me an anecdote. So I, I haven't been in that place myself, but like I said, I've met um, uh, addicts before in the, in the farm in Georgia I was living in. And one of them was, was a dear friend, um, he recounted to me that in high school they had the person who is a, an addict come to them, you know, a recovering addict, and telling the kids in high schools like how bad heroin is. It's like don't ever touch this stuff; it will ruin your life. And that how you know, since the moment he touched it, all that was on his mind is heroin and how to get it. And you know, the story of an addict. And my friend told me it's like 
this was a light bulb moment for him because it's like, wow, this stuff must be really good. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, it's interesting that I have heard this, this story about uh, fascination before, but really it's like, you go down that path, you go through the gateway, you end up there. Is it, is it not weird? Let's say the, the first night, the first week out, is it, is it not weird? Is it not more uncomfortable or is it not scary? Um, and I don't know. I, I mean, in a sense, like I didn't actually jump off the deep end. I probably did at some point, but even before that I had like these you know, micro experiences, some sort of like, I could call it like a picnic. Like I would just sneak away into the nearest ghetto I could find and just wander around there. But the fact is at that point, I was always treated like an outsider, right? I was just this lost kid who had wandered into a bad neighborhood without knowing it. So like there would always be some good Samaritan who would like, you know, escort me out of there and say, oh my God, you poor kid, you're lost. And let me find you your way home, right? So I would even if I would find myself into the, you know, the lion's den, I would be escorted out by the lion saying, oh, no, no, you're too young to get into this place. Get out. Let, you know, let me find you a safe place, right? I'll get you a safe passage out of here. And I guess I was just lucky in that, you know, in the early years, this probably started off, this fascination was like around 11, 12. And I kept like, you know, wandering into such places everywhere. I could see them and find them. And I would, you know, constantly get pushed away. You know, this is not where you belong. Go back to where you belong. Go back to where you belong. But I think it was finally around like 16 when I managed to finally get out of where, you know, I grew up and throw myself headlong into this completely new universe, this completely the underbelly of civilization or society as we like to see it. And I don't know, man, I mean, I just like, there was no fear whatsoever. There was this insane electric excitement. I don't know, I mean, it is just, was it just wishful thinking? Was it just, you know, just like, a kid being naive and just like being crazy about the whole thing or was it just because I was stoned as fuck that I didn't feel any fear I don't know but there was no fear whatsoever there was like this insane I mean like I've seen people getting killed in front of my eyes I've seen you know it's been crazy I mean like all of this stuff is happening in front of me I, I'm like you know I'm so stoned like I can barely even react to half the stuff that's happening around me but it didn't scare me at no point was I scared. I was enthused, I was amused, I was amazed. I was like, wow, I was just in awe. And I think like, it's ridiculously stupid at this point of time to look back and think like, why the fuck were you not afraid? Like, you know, but I really don't know why I wasn't afraid. Maybe I just wasn't concerned about myself or maybe I was just in, in, in that state of a trip where you just think of yourself as an observer and you don't even believe like you're physically, you know, in this space. Yeah, that's super interesting. How, how about you, Brooke? What's, what, do you remember the, the beginning? The, uh, was there a realization that you had reached the place where you really didn't think about reaching, but I guess it becomes undeniable. And like, what was your inner uh, reaction to it? Was it shock or, or something else? And were you anxious to get out of there or, uh, yeah, could you take us through it a little bit? Sure. Yeah. If we're talking uh, specifically about my time spent on the street, uh, that there was an element of shock initially that was replaced pretty quickly by apathy. 
Um, I didn't have the fear element. Um, I, but I did not have like the seeking danger excitement element for the most part. Uh, there were, there were some aspects that kind of made me feel a little bit like a badass and I enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, I, I think it got me some some street cred, you know. If somebody was like waving a gun around or things like that, and I would just be like, "All right, what are we doing, guys?" Uh, I, I think that uh, that helped with some of the dudes I was hanging out with. But um, yeah, for me, for me, it was really just I had lost all sight of what what I needed to do to be a functioning human in the world, like how I could care enough to. I had lost kind of like all all hope and therefore just I was kind of like wandering <laughs> yeah and and for both of you correct me if I'm wrong but at the time when you're living on the street you're also uh, addicts right there is there is a, a cyclicality involved around getting the substance using the substance and and going on right so that pretty much that's the equivalent of, of going to work right is and the, and the goal is is very clear. Just instead of being a consumer who buys a house later in life or whatever, it's just this very immediate uh, chase after a substance. Is that fair to say? For me, I I stopped opiates right when I got on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so so and, and opiates are the ones that really you you kind of like need if you're using daily. You need in order to be well. Uh, I did graduate to crystal meth at that time. And that's what everyone I knew used. It's very cheap. It's very easily accessible. It also helps keep you warm if you were in the outdoors. And it helps keep you awake because you get hassled by police all the time. Things aren't always like safe places for women to sleep. Um, it's a little deceptive though, because then you just end up falling asleep randomly in the middle of the sidewalk somewhere else because you've been out for too many days but um yeah it, it was a little bit like a job but in that case like heroin I wanted to be using up up until the week before I quit I was telling people that I didn't see myself ever stopping and <laughs> it's funny how things like that work but the crystal meth was really just I, I didn't I didn't really like it it just helped me forget how bad of a place I was in wow and you ready you know, the idea that I didn't think that I was using drugs, right? It just, for me, the idea of doing drugs was like a love affair. It's like, I, I was like, oh man, like all my life, I was like, I'm just seeking this higher experience that real life or reality was too boring, too mundane, too routine. And drugs had taken me to a world beyond what the world had to offer right so i was just like besotted i was just in love with the experience with the world it opened you know it opened me up to a different world of you know whatever it is whether it was crime whether it was you know the underbelly of society but i just felt that that world was a lot more real right there was there was so little it's so funny to think about it now because there's so much, you know, conning and manipulation happening all the time. Everyone's trying to hustle each other and, you know, you're trying to con each other, rip each other off their stash. And like, it's a doggy dog world. And yet at the same time, I was like, fuck, this world is so real. Like, you know, in the real world, you know, or the world I came from, everyone, like there was this undercurrent of people were saying something, people meant something else. And I never felt that I belonged in, you know, in the world I grew up in, in the so-called real world, right? Like, so for me, the idea of 
living on the streets, going through all of that, the struggle, the suffering, the hardships, you know, not knowing where you are, not knowing where you wake up, not knowing whom you're waking up next to this, all of this element was, it just felt like an adventure. Like, you know, I just felt like, holy fuck, like, you know, can this get any crazier? Can this get any more exciting? Can this life get any madder? than what it is so like, so in, in terms in know. terms of mood and emotion like what what characterizes uh, that that time for you the mood is 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 what and and what emotion is is prevalent in that time i don't think i i I've, as a child i think i was probably so my story is a little crazy in the sense i think as a child i i you know, I had a few seizures and epileptic seizures. And so I was put on heavy psychiatric medication as a little child, as an infant, right? So up to the age of five, I was five, I was on like heavy psychiatric medication for like seizures and stuff like that. So I think I was already an addict by then, right? So at five, when I was weaned off and everything was fine and they're like, okay, cool. You're not going to like, you know, you're not going to get seizures anymore. You're all good. You're sorted. But by then I was already probably hooked onto those stuff, right? And like for the rest of my life, as far as I can remember from five onwards, I was always trying to get high somewhere or the other. I would always fake a cough to get some sort of cough syrup, like get some codeine into my system. Like, you know, there was always this urge towards getting high in some way or the other. And I think, I don't know how this relates with the whole thing, but it's just strange. I don't feel like I was a very emotional person. I still don't think I'm a very emotional person in the sense that I don't get caught up by emotions as much. Like when I look at how other people respond to emotions today, I think, holy fuck. I mean, like, why is this bothering people? Like, okay, you're sad. You're sad. You're, you know, it's like, it doesn't like, I don't know. I, I just... I think, am I cold? Am I like uncaring? Am I unfeeling? Am I, have I done so much shit that, you know, like emotions, I don't feel emotions anymore. I don't know. Like I can feel it, but I don't get swept away by them. I don't get washed away by mm. them. I don't get deluged by, you know, emotion. So I don't know, man. I, but then, you know, with drugs, it's like that. You, you're high, you're happy, you want to do drugs. You're sad, you want to do drugs. You're angry, you want to do drugs. Like, there's no emotion under which you don't want to do drugs. You know what I mean? So it, it sounds like it, it might not be that different from, like, in terms of, since you, you seem not to be so much affected by, you know, what's going on around you and even excited by it, it sounds like, you know, this circumstance is not something that impacted your, your inner, um, your inner life so much, I guess, like the, <laughs> oh, that's like a tricky question, right? Like, I don't know, man, like everything seems like it's very surreal, right? When you're tripping, you don't really know what's real, what's surreal, what's, you know, what's actually happening, what you're tripping on, whether it's you imagining shit or whether that stuff is actually happening. I don't know. I mean, like this, you're in this constant haze. At least I was like in that haze most of the time. I didn't know if what I was thinking about the other person or what, what I was reading from the other person was my own paranoia or whether it was actually what the other person was doing to me. 
it's a crazy world. It's like this world where you don't know whether your inner reality is in sync with the outer reality of what the world says is reality, right? So it's very hard to say gotcha. what I was feeling was what, what was really happening. <laughs> I'm 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 really interested in in thinking about how we could connect that to living well and start exploring uh, the area of whether living well is at all possible on on some level. And I should say that to me, living well is enjoying mental health. And we usually see addiction as such a negative thing because uh, it is. You know, coming from the root of the world is just basically being uh, a slave to a master. And could you be mentally healthy while you're a slave to a master? Um, so, Reddy, you mentioned that you're not, you didn't exactly feel like a, a slave, yet on, on some level you do recognize that, that you were controlled by impulses that did not originate with your authentic self, maybe is that is that fair to say? And would you say that you saw yourself as being mentally healthy at the time, or is it again falling into the category of just not thinking about doing my thing without much self awareness, even? In a way, you know, I do feel like I was aware of the aspect that I was addicted. Like, you know, I don't feel like I was ignorant. I was one of those kids who. I loved reading up everything about what I was doing, right? If I was doing ketamine, I would read up about it. Like I wouldn't read up before doing the drugs, but I would do stuff. I would like always dive in headlong, but then I would be like, oh, I want to know more about this. Like, why is, what does this chemical do? What does this do to me? How does, how long does it last? Like what, what are the effects? What are the side effects? Like, I would love to know everything about it. So in a way, there was a sense of awareness that I was fucking my body up, that I was fucking my mind up in so many different ways because I would read the side effects, I would read what it does to me. And yet I would do it because I was like, oh, fuck that. I, I'm not, I don't even know if I'm going to live that long to face all those side effects. And even if I do, I don't care. It's all worth the trip. So I always did do that. And I won't call that living well, though. I was happy. I was always happy doing drugs. I was always happy living on the streets. I felt like that was a happier world. People were more real, more connected, more loving even, right? More willing to share despite the fact that, you know, like everyone's trying to steal from each other. And yet there was always this element that I would see the good in people, like the evil in people, the was so obvious, was so rampant, and yet the good in people was so genuine. Like you could see the warmth, you could see that love, and it was there, right? It was always there. It would be hiding behind this veneer of dirt and muck, and you know, people weren't didn't want to show their goodness because on the streets, showing your goodness is weakness, right? Like it means you're likely to be taken for a ride. It means you're easy to con, you're easy to manipulate. So nobody wants to give off that vibe that they're nice, and they're loving and they're kind because that means you're just setting yourself up to get you know, taken advantage of. So the people genuinely were nice and you know, people genuinely are loving and sharing, which is a lot more than I see in, you know, in life as we know it on the on the surface, right, where people are 
have homes and jobs and go about their routine lives. So I don't know. I mean, like, how can you say that people up here with access to education and, you know, resources are living well when they're not, you know, because they're living in abundance, right? A person's true nature only comes to the surface when you are lacking, when things, when the odds are against you, when you don't have it. Like if you, like, it's something like, you know, when you have resources and you don't share it, then, you know, like you don't have the need to share it because everyone around you has those resources. When you are in a situation where you don't have resources, the person next to you doesn't have resources. And how do you share when you both have hardly anything to share? How do you share? And do you even share or do you, you know, steal from the other person? A lot of this is the rawness of being on the streets shows you what living well really is about right? Like whether you can do it or not is an entirely different thing, but you can see that this is the reality of people, right? It's easy to be nice and generous and loving and charitable because you have shit, right? You have things and then you can share, you can give people, but when you don't, right? I don't know. I'm, I always find that on the streets, it's, there's a lot more reality in the way people face it because you're facing these situations where there's a lack of everything, there's a dearth of everything, there's a scarcity of so many things. Your true nature comes out to the core of me. Like I have never, like I've always been a person who's very comfortable with who I am as a person. And I've done like fucked up shit on the streets, man. I've like, I've really fucked people up. I've done all sorts of shit. I've stolen, robbed, manipulated, gone, like short of killing someone, I've pretty much done everything. And not because I didn't try, just because I didn't succeed. And, you know, so there's a world where, and that same shit has been done back to me. So it's in a way I have experienced what would normally just be a thought exercise in a philosophy class about living well, to actually live that fucking life. So are you telling me that a person who has sat in a philosophy classroom and discussed what would possibly happen as a thought exercise, what would happen if you didn't have this and someone did this, what would you do if someone held you at gunpoint and asked you to shoot your own kid or die? You know, you have all these thought exercises and things like that, you know, but what if you're actually in that situation? So you really know what living well is. You really know whether you're the kind of person who would actually do what you claim to want to do. A lot of people up here on the surface say, hey, I'm a good person. You know, this is what I would do. I would never do something like that. I would never be evil. I would never do shit like that. You don't know, man. You don't know because you've never been in that situation. You don't have a gun to your head. You don't have those dire circumstances in which you actually have to make those decisions. That's when you know really what kind of person you are. It's easy to say, these are my values. This is a system I believe in. This is a religion or this is a code of life I live by. It's easy to say that when the odds are in your favor, or at least the odds are not against you, right? But on the streets, the odds are usually always against you. So you may not, you know, it's, it may not be easy to live well, but you clearly know what living well is. You clearly know when you're going against what is, you know, what is loving, what is compassionate. You know it. I mean, like I, I felt it. Like I knew I was doing evil shit. I knew I was fucking people up. I knew I was harming people. I knew each time I introduced someone new to drugs, I was sending them down a fucking path of no return. Right. And yeah, practically 90% of the people I've, I, I lived with, I used with are fucking dead right now. 
So it's not a, it's not something you know I'm really proud of. It's not something that I want to live with and say that hey, so you know. But that's that was my reality, and that got me face to face with who I really am as a person. Yeah, Brooke, do you feel that? Do you feel that about? Maybe like maybe we're going to move towards the direction of of yeah already uh, coming out of of that phase and thinking about what are some of the lessons that can be taken about living well from from uh, life on the streets. But for you, you mentioned that uh, no, you did not feel well uh, or or doing well. But were there glimpses in real time of behaviors that you did appreciate that you got to to come across maybe a little bit in the in the vein of what Reddy mentioned that wouldn't have happened in other circumstances because whatever you do maybe it's the need for for substance that does make you go out and and interact with people whereas maybe in the so-called uh, normal world um you could be pretty much isolated and not need something from from anyone almost were there um behaviors that that got you pondering about the nature of of well-being and doing well in life so i didn't i didn't just need other people for drugs i didn't know how to feed myself i didn't know how to clothe myself i didn't know the first things about how to stay alive on the street and uh there were there were a lot of like unfortunate power dynamics that happen when you are a girl who needs help on the street. I don't remember exactly where I was going with that, but that's just like a little point. Um, you, you know, it's a name substance, but it was far more than just that. Um, as far as like living well goes, and I'm not entirely clear. I have like, had this, kind of, this conversation with you before, uh, or like, you know, I had a conversation with you on your podcast before, but I'm actually not really clear if when you say living well, do you mean living well in a value sense or living well in like a I am thriving kind of sense? But I think those are two distinct things. Yeah, well, it's it's a great question. You know, there hasn't been an episode titled Living Well and uh, it's kind of intentional. Like, I don't actually want to didactically saying, but, um, but for me, uh, no, I, I will say it now. For me, living well means being mentally healthy. It's It's actually the... It's actually a way to describe somebody who's um, over time is is mentally healthy in the sense that whatever is going on in consciousness is is harmonious. Um, actions are are beneficial unto oneself and unto others because the realization has to be is that I want other people to be doing well around me. It only reciprocates and it only uh, magnifies my own doing well. It's just easier to do. Um, and I'm not in conflict with myself. So I'm not doing this compulsive behavior and then giving myself shit about it. Or I'm not having these two minds in one person about things, right? The, the shoulds uh, versus the, the wants, right? Um, so this is what, what living well is to me. It's uh, just not feeling any sort of inner strife or conflict as you move along, not putting yourself down with thoughts or not being or not having a, a very strong voice coming from parents and educators or society at large, like you should do that, but always wanting to have a moment to yourself so that you could do this totally um, 
be a deviant, right? And, and do the exact opposite. So that's not living well if you have to fight yourself all the time. Um, so in a sense, it, it is, it's, it's much closer to the, to the, to the thriving part, right? Because if you put up a facade, uh, living well in the superficial sense, that's like having all the nice stuff, right? And saying the right things, that's virtue signaling. And living well in effect is actually being uh, virtuous. Um, so if, if that clarifies it all, yeah, I'd like to hear from you if, if there was any sense of at some point things that, things that have made you realize that maybe you can uh, steer this this um, steer this ship somewhere else and and have internal harmony even while you're in that situation. So it's kind of interesting because I had a I had a fairly different experience on the street. It sounded like than than Ruddy did. I never felt like I belonged there. I never felt like this is my home. These are my people. I was I was. I was an interlutery. I was, I was not, you know, I was, I was a tourist. Um, and I, and I spent a lot of time talking to people there. I know you asked earlier about, um, intersection and, and self-awareness and things like that at the time. And, and I did spend a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, never got, I didn't get to a point where I figured out any answers until after I had already figured out answers, if that makes sense. But, um, I, I would ask people all the time on the stream, like, why are you here? How did you get here? And are you planning on leaving? And, and so many people uh, were just like, yeah, I love it here. I don't want a real job. Da, 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 da. And I did not believe any of them. <laughs> so you, was, would, you would have met Reddy and told him that he's bullshitting. <laughs> I didn't meet Reddy, so we can't answer that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm talking with people, like specific people that I knew on an individual level uh, who would go from talking about how, no, they really wanted to be on the street and then talking about how awful everything was and how unhappy they were and all these different problems about everything. There was one guy that I didn't really talk to. I remember seeing him. He lived outside of Starbucks. He, would, he just had the neatest little tent space. It looked like very like Zen. And he would go sit like cross-legged inside the Starbucks and like work, work on his laptop every day. And he didn't really talk to anybody. That guy I would have believed was like living well. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, for me, there was like a distinct moment. And and uh, I, there were a lot of things that went into that. Uh, but I, part of it was that I, oh, that's what I was trying to say earlier. I, <laughs> uh, part of it was that I dropped this victim mentality that I'd had before. I, growing up, I was, I was, I was, I felt like I didn't deserve to be unhappy. You know, my parents were together. We had food on the table. We had all of that. And I, and I was still really unhappy. And I was just like, there are kids starving everywhere. There are kids that are dying in wars and things. And I have no right to be unhappy. And that just made me more unhappy. And, and it wasn't until I got on this that I had these things happen where I was like, all right, like I can suffer now. I have earned it. These are like objectively terrible things that have happened to me. And I just became this super depressing person to be around. And, and I had this idea that like, all right, I'm a victim now. Like I made it. And then I wasn't any happier. I was like, it did not help at all. I was just, remember, yeah, I remember talking to this girl. She's like, yeah, you're just like really depressing. 
I did hang out with. I was like, that's not the kind of person I want to be. And I realized, like, on a fundamental level, like, I hadn't changed. The kind of person I didn't, like, I wanted to be hadn't really changed. I, you know, these things had happened, but they weren't really, like, didn't really make me feel any worse. And the stuff that had happened when I was a kid that I didn't value on the same kind of level because it wasn't, like, objectively bad. And and, and once I kind of, like, let go, I think that was a big component and a big part of things. I kind of let go of this mentality that I have been wronged. And I, I I just let go of a lot of this like weird shame I had around who I was. I mean, there were, it's kind of like hard to describe without going into a bunch of detail, but there was just a very specific moment after which, you know, I had, I had a, I, um, uh, an exit that uh, attacked me. And um, that was before then I had not been using uh, for a few months. I got jobs and everything and really turned things around. I was like happy and chipper and figuring all these things out. And then, and then that, that incident happened. And then after that, I um, I started using again, but it was totally different from any other time I had used in my life. It didn't feel like a life sentence. It didn't feel like, I don't know, like I just might be doing this forever. I'm like, no, I just got traumatized. I'm going to use this because I need it as like a coping mechanism right now because I don't really have a social support network. And as soon as I'm done with it, I'm going to drop it. And I did. And, and it was during that period where I felt yeah, fundamentally okay in a way that I had never in my life before. And the difference between before that point and after that point are, are I mean, about as polar opposites as you can get. It's it's striking to me. It's striking to me because it relates to, to my story. And I think the turnaround for me for fighting depression, coming out of one, you know, it might not be the street, but coming out of one very serious, dire episode of my life into something that's that's much brighter and to seeing a brighter future is definitely the moment where you find your your agency right when it's not stuff that's happening to you you're not a victim and it's also recognizing that there's something a little absurd about how we operate and about how things enter our consciousness from uh, who knows what exactly and where exactly do they go and realizing that we actually have, I think, more power than we realize to summon uh, a certain kind of thought, which eventually, you know, whatever is in our consciousness, this is what we're going to feel inside. And it also informs our actions on the, on the outside. And suddenly you feel empowered to be an active player rather than that rather than a, a victim of of some accident so is that something that you've uh that you've experienced when you say there was a change between being a victim to being um an agent absolutely and it, and, it, and the, the ramifications of that have kind of like rippled out through, through many different areas of my life i i use the example i used to I, lived in LA for about a decade. That's where I was on the street. But even before then, I was on the street for a couple of years. And before then, I was one of those people who was just like, it's hard to make friends in LA. That's just the truth. And now thinking back, I'm like, I didn't host meetups. I didn't like talk to strangers. I didn't do any of the things that one should do if one wants to make friends. And 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 I, and, and I feel like that's that's a pretty good example of, of just kind of like how I didn't have agency in my life, uh, even long before I was on the street. Now I'm like, there is a thing I want. All right, what can I do to get it? <laughs> you know, and if I see other people talking about a thing they want, I'm like, how can I help you do that? Or like, what, you know, what do you need? What do you need? Let's work together. Let's make this thing happen because it just no longer makes sense to me to talk about wanting a thing and then not, 
and then that, you know, period. <laughs> like, okay, how do we make it happen? And that, and that was a direct result of actually being a victim of something, where, but where in a situation where you kind of unwillingly put yourself in, but you let yourself get to a situation where you were victimized, did that put like uh, an exclamation, an exclamation mark on, on the whole thing and something clicked? This is something that that I don't say very often because I have butted heads a little bit over with some people over this, um, uh, particularly people in like the trauma queer kind of community. Uh, the the what I did with you know it, maybe if I had something stolen from me or I was assaulted or all these you know various bad things that would happen. I would sit and think about them and I would trace the steps back and find various points along that, like the chain of events where I could have changed the outcome and didn't, you know, like with, with my piece of accent, there were so many red flags and it's not like I didn't see them. I was like, Oh, well, that's a weird thing. Let me just keep dating you. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, Oh, this person seems dangerous. Let me just fall asleep where they have access to my stuff. Or, or let me fall asleep where my stuff is like way over there and I can't watch it. Or let me stay up for four days so that I don't have control over when I fall asleep and might end up around really bad people. There were just, I am not, when I do these kind of exercises, it's not, the point of it is not to reduce the responsibility of other people who do bad things. It's, it's because I have no control really over what people do. I have control over what I do. And if I can figure out how to keep myself safer and smarter and more competent, every step along the way, I'm, I mean, I can do that. I can do that. And I, and I think I was, I was, I was limiting myself by just focusing on the harm other people had done to me, as opposed to like, all right, how can I make sure this doesn't happen again? And it makes it a lot more fun and a lot more exciting way to live, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Ready, what do you have to add? Man, that, like, you know, I, I love that experience of extreme agency. Like, that's pretty much how I live my life. I love feeling like, you know, even when shit goes down and like things go wrong and like everything is not the way I'd want it to be. I feel, you know, I feel that sense of like, okay, I let this happen, right? Like I made the choices that led to me being in this situation. And I feel like that, makes me feel like I'm still in control, right? Because on the streets, like there's so much that's not in control. There's practically everything around you is out of your control, right? Because if you look at it, what is a person really in control of? Shelter, food, clothing, and those basic survival necessities, right? Like, and the moment like a person lives in society, he has all of these catered to and protected and preserved, right? This is my house. No one else comes in. This is my space. Nobody else comes in. These are my clothes. Nobody else wears them, right? This is my food. Nobody else is going to eat it. Like those are certainties that's expected. But now out on the streets, like each one of those things can be taken away. My own personal dignity can be taken away. My own life can be taken away. My food can be taken away. My stash can be taken away. Everything, the space I'm sleeping in can be taken away everything is up for grabs, right? And in a world like that, like the last thing I want to do is start feeling like I'm not in control because shit's going, you know, it shit's out of my hands. Like, so I would, I don't know, it was just like a necessity for me to feel like I was in control, even if I wasn't. I wanted to tell myself, okay, 
oh fuck i lost that oh fuck i didn't find this so someone take stole that from me someone took this away from me like how did i land up here who who brought me here who took me away from where i was like you know this all of these questions i wake up with and i was like oh fuck that i must have fucked something up right and most of the time i didn't even know no i didn't even know what it was but i would always put this out there that it was even if i wasn't to blame it was my responsibility right like that's the way i like to frame it in my head even today i'm like okay when things don't go the way i wanted to maybe i'm not to blame but at the end of the day the responsibility is still mine right by looking at life that way it just makes everything feel things don't feel as helpless as you know as as one would feel in that situation right and so i i love that experience of taking extreme agency for everything that's happening in my life and you know it's like in a way that is one of the traits of living well right like because if i'm constantly looking for someone else to blame whether it's circumstances whether it's you know whether because that's what what sort of happens most of the time right like people complaining about living on the streets uh this people complain about living in society as well like you complain about your representative you complain about the political system you complain about you know who's in charge of the world you complain there's always a hundred things to complain you go to any office the best of offices and at the water cooler everyone's complaining misery loves company people love sharing complaints right like that's one of the ways people get to bond with each other so i don't really think people who are out on the streets aren't living well maybe one aspect of people who are out on the streets like me as an addict weren't living entirely well because there's the physical element of fucking myself up every single day right. every single time i'm doing stuff right yeah and mentally as well like it's not like all trips are good trips there are bad trips there are bad times things go wrong things don't go well you're all fucked up you lost your head you don't even know where you are you know there's a whole bunch of shit going wrong but at the same time things that could happen anywhere right that could happen when you have things in your favor as well and that there are other kinds of people who stay on the streets there are people who are just poor there are people who are criminals right people, right so so yeah yeah so I, i'd love to do everyone is losing that aspect of you know is losing that physical and mental health all the time yeah so so that's an interesting uh, thought experiment um yeah i i will say and then move on to the thought experiment that just would love us to to kind of think about it but i i would like to say that you know yeah definitely the feeling first of all i'm i'm happy that you're taking it in a positive way i think that um a lot of people uh could somehow feel that they have agency but they use it all the time to like protect themselves against things happening and that can create kind of compulsive behaviors um of like ocd you know everything is not safe i must make sure that i'm safe must make sure that i'm safe must make sure that i'm safe but the Uh, the framework of seeing well-being which is not really developed because i think most people don't actually take the time to really develop a concept of of living well in their mind which is a shame which is what i'd like to rectify if i can at all um and most people just assume that living well is just some sort of of a of a passive thing that happens when problems uh stop stop springing up you know when 
in effect, problems are always springing up. You're never going to get run out of problems, right? Impossible. And when you realize that and you realize that you should always be proactive about things, you should be the one and the and living well is is the process. It's not some result of your actions. It's the process itself. And it's not something that you need to defend from things happening, but something that you need to cultivate. And that's when you go on the offense, so to speak. You become active. You don't just keep uh, complaining, like you say, and fearing that things are going to, to happen to you. But to get to the uh, thought experiment or just questions like, what, what do you both think about, um, could there be a person, um, because there, there, is a, there is a story about a, a guy named Diogenes in Athens, in ancient Greece, who just went and lived in a barrel and, you know, supposedly was, um, was happy. And he, in fact, is the first cynic, right? So cynic is from uh, Kuon, dog. He lived like a dog and, um, and said that it was happy. So is that in the experience of both of you? Let's say we leave out the aspect of being an addict, which might very well challenge uh, very challenge anyone to be enjoying well-being but life among uh with these hardships that the street kind of uh, puts around you it, it, that is totally um that is not completely ruling out living well to you on its own i i uh... I hesitate to make comments on anyone else's internal state. Um, I, I I do draw inferences. I, I make some assumptions, but they are not definitive ones. Um, one thing that I use to to kind of like shape my my perception of how well or like how honest somebody's being if they say they're happy is is how consistent they are and how much they're like you know if you if you hang out with them over time. Are, is their mood kind of like reflecting what they say it is or what it, what I feel like it should be reflecting given their words? Are, are they acting in a way that's in alignment with their words? Are they having like sudden mood shifts that I can't trace the cause of that kind of thing? I think those are all maybe kind of flags that somebody isn't being honest either with themselves or with me. That being said, I, I don't really feel qualified to like make definitive statements about what other people feel. Uh, for myself, I... I use, I, I'm kind of experimenting with this idea that like having really high amounts of energy is, is correlated with, with how, and I, I use the word thriving, but I think we're kind of pointing at the same thing versus living well versus thriving. Um, because at least for me, when I started living in alignment with myself and figured out, like, like suddenly realized, <clears throat> and this is only after I had dealt with it, but that I had like crippling anxiety. And how, uh, you know, I'd already come up with kind of practices just sort of like unintentionally to, to, to manage that. Um, but I feel like so much energy over the course of my life was being expended in these like inner conflicts in my actions, not aligning with my values in and just anxiety and fears and all of this stuff going on in my head. And then once those kind of went away, just like, <laughs> I just have like, like almost endless energy to do things. And, but then also... I, as I said before, I had that point after which on, like, I, I, you know, the switch flipped. Um, I never described myself as a happy person ever in my life until, until that moment when I was like, oh, I was like, oh, this is, this is a new state of being. I have never felt this way before. And I kind of knew that it was like a fundamental thing that this change 
I, I just had this idea, this gut feeling that it was going to be a permanent one. And I also made a bunch of predictions at the time, uh, first to myself and then to my parents when I when I got in like, contact with them. And they were kind of like, okay, Brooke, we're glad you're not using meth anymore. But kind of one by one, those predictions have been borne out over time. I, I, and I knew they would be. I knew it needed time to kind of prove that I wasn't just talk. But so I, I, I kind of like entered the state of feeling like I was thriving on the streets and had to start from where I was. Where I was was recently very traumatized using crystal meth like homeless um and at, at, over time i mean we, we referenced this kind of like i talked about this in the scaling up episode uh that i did with you before uh I, so that's where that was what my starting point was but i feel like i have been consistently uh and, and fairly rapidly like just becoming better and better and better and more and more the person that i want to be and i'm already the person i want to be and i'm just going to become more the person i want to be and do more of the things i want to do uh, <laughs> so um I, I definitely feel like like i yeah i was i was on the street for some time after that switch flipped and i i was okay with it because i knew it wasn't permanent i knew that i had figured my shit out and that i would get off and then i did yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Because that's exactly that. That's exactly that. I feel like this really uh, drives home the point that it is about the process. You know, it's not about creating this future for yourself that when you reach, you're going to be well. This is about and and that and that moment is infinitely fascinating to me. Right? What happens yeah. when the yeah. switch goes off and you are uh, now? not thinking about the way to somewhere, but focusing on the, on the process. Now, with, with how were you aiming at the, at the predictions you, you made? Were you keeping them in mind? Um, and would you share one or two, like these milestones? Mm, you don't have to. Um, <laughs> I, no, no, I, I'm deciding which, which, which ones would be most fruitful to share. Um, I, one I already said was that, I, I just, this was just an internal one. I didn't tell anybody else, or maybe I did at the time, but I'm not in context anymore. But that was that I was using crystal meth again after that break. And then my ex, that, that incident, um, I was like, all right, I'm, I am just using until I don't need to anymore. This is a temporary thing. And I will drop it when I feel ready, like strong enough to handle, you know, processing this trauma, whatever. And I, and I did. Um, when I got off the street with my parents, I was like, like, all right, but like, you're, you're, you're very like, you know, manic right now because you just got off the street and you're really, you know, excited to be safe and all these things. And you're going to plateau and, 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 you know, it's going to go back down. And, and I never hit that point. I even had like pretty severe health problems. And, you know, there were a few weeks where I just kind of hung out in bed and watched Netflix because I was, I was really unwell physically, but it, it, it never, like, I never reached the same, like, you know, I never felt like, okay, suddenly I'm not happy anymore. Like, it's not like I'm, you know, got this temporary thing again. Um, I also told my, <laughs> you're kind of like a little bit different. Uh, but I, I mean, I, 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 I told my mom that I was going to make my job out of Twitter when I first joined. And, and I, <laughs> I waited doing that. I was one of the few people who were just like, yeah, Vibe Camp is going to work. Um, yeah, and I don't know. They're, 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 they, I just feel a lot more confident in in my competency now, and um, and, and I, I'm just growing much like uh, to trust my instincts and my intuitions a lot more. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, and yeah, that that really uh, gets me to point that I, I wanted to make it a, a stop 
in our discussion or a station to stop by. Um, Reddy, what do you feel? Uh, did, did life on the street like inoculate you going forward against some some other you know future? I always have this uh, conception. I want to know if it's a conception or a misconception that that you do get um, you know hardened in a sense, but. It, more robust in, in the face of danger because you've lived that life, right? Is, is, it, is it something, am I just romanticizing or is it really that, you know, you've seen some shit and now you're less afraid of whatever you may face in the future? Is that fair to say that this is something that positive that could be taken from knowing that you have gone through this? Can we ask him? Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. So I thought you were asking Reddy. That's what I was asking. I thought I heard Reddy's name in there. So go ahead. <laughs> Either of you is good. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, like, I, I do feel that, right? Because I, I, this is something I've spoken about before. I remember the discussion about, you know, people living in the favelas in Brazil, right? Like the idea of people living below the poverty line not being happy, is this conception that much of the world has, much of the, you know, the so-called above the surface world has, right? That people below the poverty line, people living on the streets, people living in slums, people living are unhappy, right? They may be poor, but assuming that poor equals unhappy is 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 is, um, is, is a very strange assumption, right? Is is an assumption based on a lot of hubris that just because I have plenty means I'm happy, right? And that's something that I've seen on the streets that people who didn't have anything could be happy. People who had less than other people could be happy and people up on the surface with a lot of stuff were a lot unhappier, right? And this, one of the things that I realized at my rock bottom was the fact that when I hit my rock bottom, it wasn't the fact that I was physically, you know, completely scrounged out or was like, you know, mentally a wreck, it was that I was spiritually disconnected from anyone and everyone, right? I was so paranoid that every single person around me was after my stash. So anyone and everyone, whether it was a known person or an unknown person, whether it was a person from the streets or a person above the streets, every single person I was afraid of. I was afraid they were after me. So there was this constant fear of people. There was this constant you know, belief that everyone was out to take something that I had, right? And I practically had nothing. And what what is what is the stash, really? What is the stash? Oh, the drugs, man. The drugs, like the stuff. That uh, yeah, but high, how how right? do you it's, keep it's, them so that it's it's everyone's got their hiding place somewhere, like under a rock or something? Well. I mean, yeah, it depends on where you want to hide your stash, right? But like, you always have something on your person. You have something for a rainy day, which doesn't last more than, you know, probably a couple of hours before you find it. And you, either you find it and do it or someone else does it. You know, the, but the idea of you're always holding on to something, you have like a bunch of hiding places. You probably have like five, six places on your person because you don't want to keep everything in one place as a whole, like you figure out shit like you figure out like okay this is my space this is where i'm gonna do stuff this is space where i'm gonna take someone if i want to do stuff with them right there's always these little 
alleys and you have these little it's almost like at some point of thing i think i was just living out childhood fantasies of having like a, a treasure map where i'd keep stuff around except that i'd fucking forget what the treasure map was so i didn't even remember where half the stuff was so you know all of these things happen and then the fact is that like all of this happening wasn't really what my you know my rock bottom was all about it was the fact that i couldn't connect with anyone there was nobody i could relate with not a friend not an enemy not family not associates not even using buddies like everyone i was just like this lone creature in the universe right that feeling to me was the worst thing ever right and now if you think of the idea that living well like living with whom living is is something is relational right like like even convicts on you know on, on living in solitary confinement like make friends with that little rat like almost every movie you see like there's a hardened criminal sitting there in solitary and then he's friends with a tiny little rat or with a cockroach like humans want to connect humans need to connect right this desire and need to relate and to connect in some form or the other like that was what i had lost and and physically i had become this et kind of creature who was like you know physically so scary that people on the street would just cross the road if they saw me like i looked like an alien right like so the idea that oh my god you don't so there was this idea there was this reality that i didn't want to connect with anyone nobody wanted to connect with me and that loneliness for me was the worst thing ever right other than that if you ask me today and you'd ask me then i would have said i'm fucking living the life why because my idea of living well is the same as what it was then it's if i can think speak and act on you know as i feel if i think something then i say that shit and i act on that that harmony to me is my idea of living well whether it was then or whether it's today right if if i wanted to say something to someone back in the day i would have said it not just because i was doing the drugs which gave me the courage to go out and say shit to people i do the same shit today if i don't like someone i go up and say that straight to their face right if i don't think something should not be done if i think something should not be done i'll go there and just say it and i'll follow it up i'll do what needs to be done that harmony of thinking speaking and doing the same thing is to me my idea of living well okay like the rest of it yes mental health physical health social well being connected relationships good relationships all of that stuff good financial standing you know some sort of some modicum of respect in society all of those things you know constitute the holistic idea of living well but at the individual level to me it's just that right if i think something i should have you know the courage to say what i think and the gumption to act on that right and if i can do that now that's awesome right because back then i could have probably said what i thought but i couldn't do anything on that because i was just this you know creature who couldn't act on anything like i didn't have the, there was not like i had the conviction up here but like nothing beyond that like i had no way of acting on those convictions right and that was like the worst thing ever right because i'm a man of strong convictions and if i have something that i believe in i would love to act upon that because that to me is important like if i believe in something i got to act on that shit i couldn't do that right i couldn't do that i was yeah. like so insignificant back then 
Yeah. I, I just want to, mm-hmm. can I just say really quick on your, on, on the question of like, uh, are those kind of situations, do they change how, like, how scared I am now? And like, my answer is absolutely yes. Like that's, um, I, I feel like it's like, it's weird to say this, but my street experiences and, and like the, even the, the trauma I went through and everything, like it's a vast form of privilege. Um, and, and I think a lot of people like kind of underestimate that or, or just aren't, it doesn't even occur to them the same way. But I like, yeah, I can organize like a, a 400 person festival and having never gone to Burning Man and have it work because like, or, or like even just take a risk on it because like, there's there's no one here threatening my physical safety like i like it's so like my whole risk calculation like everything is just different now because i i i I don't know i look at especially the rationality community i adore my rationality friends rationalist friends uh but some of them are just not very rational when it comes to anxiety and things like that uh i like to use like the risk of death uh, it's kind of like my meter, like, you know, some people will drive really, really erratically. And it's just like, that has a, like a real risk of death. Like there is actually, and, and, but they won't ask a girl out or go talk to her. Like, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? And you go talk to a girl right now and they, and it's just like, it's just not rational. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I again I, I connect with that so much. First of all, yes. And you know, for me as well, like I remember quite vividly that the time in my life which after you know like eight, nine years of being pretty depressed, I just realized it's like, oh, at age 10, you know, getting up in the morning and finding out that my mom was killed during the night is you know, that's by far the worst thing that's going to happen to me. Like, yeah, I could imagine, I, I can still imagine, and I often do because um, it's hardwired into me, but I'm still having like horrible thoughts about what would happen to like, to um, people that are dear to me. And and that I can imagine, I guess, uh, a lower point happening. But generally speaking, realizing that, you know, I had gone through, probably the worst shit in my life like I'm done with it at 10 that's that's exactly as you say that's almost like immediately that's suddenly a privilege right like I don't have to worry about that I don't have to I I had gone through it I, I came not unscathed but I have proven to myself that despite going through such a tough thing I am able to to flourish now I'm able to live well or enjoy well-being, well, then I am decidedly less scared of what the future holds, you know, and that helped me come up with this whole kind of personal mythology thing where I am a phoenix that has, has um, was reduced to ashes at, at one point and has risen. And, you know, if the need be, that will happen again. If I am put out again and, and, um, and become ashes again, well, I will rise again and uh i do think that that is a a big takeaway and you know in general i i had my suspicion which i didn't open up with but i had my own hypothesis coming into this conversation with the both of you that we might understand that (laughs) it's 
the circumstances are not easy living on the street or going through trauma or anything like that that that's not easy but still it's not the end of the story it does not mean that living well living in it with internal harmony is totally out of the question yes of course as 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 you both mentioned you know some people get on the street for for various reasons it could be a uh, serious mental illness which is a mental illness in itself it's not the street that gives it to people you know if they can't keep up any sort of uh, any sort of a coherent reality or whatever it could be addiction that probably is going to cause a lot of uh, is going to be a big obstacle on the way to well-being because you, it's it's marked by internal struggle um, but it could also be that a, a person a sane person could choose to live a life and it doesn't have to be in the gutter you know in the worst place in a barrel like diogenes but um could live somewhere poor and still be uh well and i think that's important to uh, to make that point and now i'm thinking it's like should we send teenagers for a year on the street so that they go through this why not why not why not like like you know if, if there's always like the quotes of both these guys freud and young come to mind right like freud says one day in retrospect the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful right and like that's in i have no regrets like the worst of shit that's happened to me the worst of shit that i've done to others like i honestly have no regrets like i have listed those things down i've tried to make amends where possible and you know like but yet i realize that that is what has helped me understand the most about myself right that pain that struggle that i went through is not suffering unless i think it is right on the other hand it's like lessons that i've gleaned from that dirt right it's incredible and and again young scott says something about like a tree that reaches up to the heavens has to have its roots reaching down to hell right so it's almost like it's i don't know where the fucking gifted ones man we're the ones who got this gift of this pain this struggle this trauma right that to go through all of those experiences and it that's what makes me like you know i am a happy person i am a bubbly vivacious person not because things are going great for me right now but because things have gone bad for me in the past right and every time things go wrong in the present like brook said i mean it's just like what's the worst that could happen i mean i didn't die right and on the streets that's how it is like if you're just like if i'm sitting and cribbing about oh my best friend just tried to fucking kill me how the fuck could he do that like why would this shit happen to me like oh my god like that's trauma in the past if it was 2 seconds ago like wake the fuck up because another guy could be coming for you the very next second right so there's also that sense that going through that kind of a wild dangerous experience teaches you that shit can go wrong but that's not all that can happen like things can go wrong again like i can't spend my time dwelling on the fact that shit went wrong 
Because, I mean, I look at it now as a joke. Oh, wait, look, she can go wrong again the very next second. So don't spend your time looking back because there's someone up in front gunning for you again, right? But it doesn't have to be someone gunning for you. It could also be someone standing ahead of me, handing out a helping hand, reaching out with affection, you know, like you. Like, you know, you're one of those few people who's, like I said, I have fucking more enemies than friends, man. But like, I'm making a lot of friends now. I'm making friends today. I'm connecting honestly, deeply. People like you who are genuinely nice. And it's, it's, that's something that probably might be more difficult for me coming from the streets or coming from a difficult life, or coming from an addict's, living the addict's life, is that learning to trust that people can love you just you know, just out of affection, just out of love, not necessarily because there's an ulterior motive or not necessarily because they want to get something out of you because that's how I would see things. I would be like, if someone's being nice to me, I'm like, what the fuck do you want, motherfucker? Like, you know, there's that, that's like the first thing that comes to mind. Like, why the fuck are you being nice to me, right? So for me today, when I see someone and they're nice to me, I'm like, I can drop my guard down and say, hey, it's really nice to know that you're being nice to me. <laughs> like, how can I be nice to you back, right? So probably that's like the opposite of what most people above the surface would think. Like, you know, people on the surface assume the best out of people. I tend to assume the worst out of people. And now I've reached like a compromise with myself. I say, I'm going to assume the worst out of a situation and the best out of people. <laughs> so that's where I'm at now. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, that people on the surface, as you said, like really think very highly of other people. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm genuinely not sure, but it, it could be. Yeah. Brooke, what do you think? Uh, about which aspect of what was just talked about? I feel like yeah, just, just generally <laughs> like what, what are some uh, takeaways? Is there is there a way to maybe uh, get people closer to... To that, we don't want to to throw people in the street where they're unsafe, probably, and lose their life because uh, it's the harshest of the of, of environments. But could we do something and and make sure that people understand that living well is in fact, um, or does not in fact depend on having so much material abundance? Like, of course, it's a bonus to live in material abundance, impossible and with people, because it is easier to to just get by and so on. But could we do something to um, challenge people a little, a little bit so that they would understand that living well is possible uh, away from riches, let's say? So that's one of the reasons why I call it a, a, a privilege, because I would have skated, I, I'm fairly confident that I would have spent my entire life, you know, had, had events not led to me kind of like crashing and burning and ending up on the street and, and like kind of like cataclysmic way, I would have just spent my entire life being fine and just having no idea that it was possible to be many, many, many times better than fine. Uh, the way that I feel consistently now for the last several years is, is more than worth the price that I paid to get here. And, and I, and I felt that on a deep level immediately, uh, it's just, it is really, really difficult to describe the difference in my mentality and like uh, mental landscape. Um, that being said, like, I, I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like resources are, are a handicap in this, that when you are not put into these kind of circumstances, it's much, much harder 
to learn the kind of lessons that I did to get here. Um, but I don't think that it's impossible. And that's kind of one of the things that I'm really driven to work on. Uh, once I get a little bit more stability in my life, I, I plan to try to write a book. Um, I also started writing a bunch. I had a blog when I, when I, you know, maybe like six months or so after, after I got off the street, I was like, all right, I'm going to try to help make the world a happier place. Uh, as opposed to when I was in college, I had all these ideas about the way our brains worked and how to like live well. But in that context, I thought of it as like how to avoid suffering. And I think that was one of the key transformations when I was on the street. I don't think it's enough to avoid suffering. I think that you must actively seek the things that are good. Um, but so yeah, so I was writing in this blog and, and it wasn't really having the kind of impact that I was in, like expecting it to. So that is part of why, and I think I discussed this in the last episode that I did with you, um, part of why I'm doing things now, as opposed to talking about things quite as much. I think there is a definite need to talk about things, to write about things, to supplement doing things, but that the more that I can live publicly, live well publicly and, and kind of like use that, like have, provide that as an example for people. I feel like it, you know, it, it may not happen very quickly and it may not happen on large scales, but I do believe that I am having an impact on individual lives who may want to have impacts on individual lives around them. And like, that's how, that's how revolutions start. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And again, this doing versus where versus talking or just thinking thing resurfaces again and again. And I, I just, uh, you know, talking about consistency, I think it definitely shows uh, you're getting it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think, I don't know if we'll be throwing out teenagers on the street so they learn their life lessons and like give them this privilege anytime soon. But I do think it's, it's so important, like for me and this kind of closes the, the circle for me, you know, I went to this, liminal space of a homestead in the middle of the forest and I was meeting uh, people coming there with mental challenges like schizophrenia with addictions um, and just people who couldn't find their place and have gone through some uh, similar shit that, that you're describing and this helped me um, in a more vicarious way, of course, understand that there are things like that, that it's not the end of the story, that it's not this um, thing that to be dreaded in the, in the most, in the worst way, and that there is an ability to, to rise from there and change and still live well. And I think if not taking people to the street and, and just releasing them, then at least, um, don't do it on, on via negativa of kind of uh, showing them how terrible it is to be an addict and bring, because they might have the idea that my friend had, he was like, wow, this shit's pretty powerful. Instead, um, just maybe try to facilitate meeting people from all walks of life, uh, from all uh, walks of life, rather than demonize people who live on the street, demonize addicts, demonize mentally ill people and instead try to integrate because um, people will, will have a, a world to, you know, people could really benefit from just meeting people from all walks of life and realizing uh, the lessons that, that you and Reddy um, have learned by associating with, with people who have had these, these experiences. And that is, I feel like, what I wanted to achieve with this uh, podcast really is to is to um encourage people 
to go out there and I don't mean the street, but to go out there and meet people and and not necessarily go on the street, but not necessarily live on there and experience all the hardship, but do engage with people, do learn from every person. Don't just learn from the CEO who's become, you know, uh, a millionaire by 25, but you have um, not less to learn and maybe more from the people who, you know, on the surface, according to the usual criteria, have not made it, have, you know, wasted a lot of time um, or whatever. So I feel like this is this is a, a great kind of a point to uh, close on. And of course, uh, we already, we, me and listeners already uh, know your names and, and know where to find you, but I'd love to, to hear from you if there's anything um, new that you're working on or that you'd like to say and also any parting words. I, I have something I am working on, but it is top secret. So I will not tell you and you just have to wonder about it and wait. Ooh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Way to build that hype. Man, I, you know, I'm stoked now. You got me excited. I'm like, oh, wow, what is this? I need to know. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> something, right? Like once you make it, like this is why I probably got into drugs because like you banned it. Like if the moment, you know, you're not allowed to do something as a child, you just want to do it just because you're not allowed to do it, right? Like, so the moment it's a secret, damn, now I have to find out what it's all about. <laughs> But yeah, man, I mean, like, thank you so much for having us on. I mean, like, I, I really had a great time. Thank you, Brooke. It's it's such an incredible, yeah. like, we, the first time we're meeting. Yeah. And also the fact, like, this is so cool, right? I mean, there's so much we've been through, which is so similar and, like, definitely scary experiences at the same time, you know, experiences that made us who we are today, uh, right? And I... And, about what Eyal was saying about like there are already systems in place where kids can go out, you know, help the community, reach out to addicts, the outreach programs, the programs where you can, you know, you can go out and distribute clean needles. You can go there and help, help them with counseling. You can bring them in for treatment. There's a whole bunch of stuff. You can volunteer at halfway homes. There's a whole bunch of things happening. You can probably, I'm sure there are like, programs where kids can go out on the streets, meet addicts, talk to them. Like if you're a filmmaker, like everyone has a camera phone, right? Like everyone can go out to the streets. You can do some sort of a documentary. There are always ways to go out, meet people, connect. Like you said, there are lessons to be learned out there. We are probably the ones who went there, you know, and got the lessons out for ourselves by experiencing it, right? But like, you know, like some wise person said, experiences what like you, a comb you get when you're bald like it's probably useless when you've gone through that experience right but uh, most people don't have to go through it you can go there look at what's happening on the streets and maybe maybe that will help you understand a little bit about yourself about the world about situation about people about the reality of what we think i mean like it's so like who says something is a developed nation, something is not a developing, is not a developed nation. There's so much that we're told is the truth, that we're told is the reality of the world we live in. But I think a lot of that reality is only obvious when you walk the streets, any city, any country, 
anywhere in the world. You walk the streets, that's when you get the reality of the place you live in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I appreciate you guys so much and have enjoyed it so much. Always love your insights and always looking forward to more conversations. So until next time. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> See you, my friends. See you, bro.